You are listening to Practicing Gospel. I'm David Rayburn. I have several ongoing series. One of them has to do with the arts broadly, writing, storytelling, visual arts, etc. Another is specifically devoted to music, and in particular, Christian music not played on Christian radio. My first guest for this series is Adam Whipple. As you'll hear in a moment, Adam blends an eclectic, highly literate brand of folk rock music with a more traditional Appalachian sound. His music's been described as equal parts Rich Mullins and Garrison Keillor, and compared with Andrew Peterson, Paul Simon, and Counting Crows. His latest record is The Broken Seasons, released in 2018 to critical acclaim. As you will learn a little bit about toward the end of the interview, Adam is also editor for the arts journal and growing creative community Foundling House, based in my hometown of Knoxville, Tennessee. In addition, he has written for The Rabbit Room, Analog, and Curator Magazine. He has a wife and four children and lives in a house called The Watershed. The story of how I learned about Adam and connected with him is that his pastor, Wade Bibb, is the former chair of my board. Wade is the pastor of Central Baptist Bearden in Knoxville. Wade and I were discussing the struggles churches are having balancing traditional and contemporary Christian music. And since Central Bearden has services around both styles and blends the two, Wade has relationships with musicians from both styles. He told me once that he asked a contemporary musician, uh, where are the laments? Where are the contemplative and reflective songs? The person he was speaking with said, we have those. It's just you don't hear them on Christian radio. And of course, the person who Wade was talking about was Adam. And so that led to my ending up connecting with Adam and also the inspiration for this particular uh, ongoing series of Christian music. And so I thought since the story uh, was inspired by uh, Adam in part, uh, it was only appropriate that he be my first guest. So welcome, Adam. Thank you for being with me today. Thanks for having me. Uh, why don't we begin by letting you kind of tell your own spiritual journey and how uh, you ended up being what you're doing. My own spiritual journey. Okay, so this this has to be fairly concise, I guess. Um, I uh, it's maybe dangerous to begin this way, but I suppose I should begin with a few caveats, which uh, is I'm not one of those people who can point to sort of a, you know a day and a time or even really a season of life when I could say that the Lord uh, overcame me, so to speak. Um, came over or overcame. And um, when the Spirit really began to uh, direct my life in a way that was, uh, I, I guess, detectable um, in some form or fashion, at least by myself. Uh, I grew up in a, in a Christian household. My, my father's a Southern Baptist music minister, um, and uh, which, which means uh, like they, that you kind of you go from place to place a little bit, uh, to put it nicely. Um, so we were in Louisville when he was in seminary. We were in Western North Carolina, uh, which uh, that that we were only there for three years, but that place had a profound impact on me, just the landscape. And then we moved to Knoxville. Uh, we were several places before I was, uh, uh, when I was very small. But um, I kind of grew up in that, in that sort of system, that Southern Baptist youth group type system. If that's familiar, uh, I guess that'll be familiar to some people. For others who are not at least passively familiar with that, um, it's very much a, a subculture, which w sort of has its own, like, its own versions of other things that other people normally have. So other people, it's like, it's like having, having diet everything, right? So Everybody else has Coke and you have, well, Diet Coke because we don't drink Coke, that kind of thing. Uh, so other people would have, uh, you know, this kind of music or that kind of music. And, well, well we've got a Christian version of that. Uh, and um, other people would have this kind of fun or that kind of fun. And, well, we've got a Christian version of that. 
that was the kind of the subculture that I grew up in, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And um, I know it well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just for just for the uninitiated, that's uh, that's a little bit yeah. what it was like. And I I don't feel like I was ever really just super comfortable with it. Um, not that I was some sort of, you know, some sort of martyr or saint that, you know, I had the answers and these people didn't, that's not the way it, it was. But, uh, I, I guess I felt like I stood outside of it enough to sort of see, uh, the blind spots a little easier than those who were very much a part of that and rolling with it. Um, and then in college, um, like I was telling you, uh, I was telling you that I took philosophy 101 under Don Olive senior at Carson Newman. And, uh, this was a great time to like bang my head against a wall, against the wall of somebody else who knew how to actually argue and knew what they were talking about. Um, cause I was, you know, between the age, ages of 18 and 20. Uh, so I knew everything right then. <laughs> and, um, over, over that time, uh, while I was at college, especially, um, and, and even more afterwards, uh, after I got married, my wife and I got married right out of college. Um, the Lord has just more and more become a part of my life and sort of, uh, taken on more and more territory. And, uh, sometimes, sometimes for me, that's been like a war of attrition, uh, on my end. And sometimes I've, uh, gone kind of gone obediently uh into into following the lord um so that's that feels so vague and i wish i could make it more specific uh i wish i could uh point to some sort of milestone like a lot of people can and say this is a this is a thing that happened an experiential thing but for me it's been more this uh especially in my 20s and 30s this slow growth and this slow unveiling um, and slow acceptance of such a thing as God's grace, which is uh, in a lot of ways for somebody who, who grew up, uh, I say that like I'm blaming other people, a lot of ways for somebody who thought very legalistically in one way or another for a long time, grace is terrifying, right? And so it's been this sort of slow acceptance of that and slow following along with that. And, uh, well, outside yeah. evangelical circles, that's a common experience. The slow, uh, the slow bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That is. Well, let's kind of touch on our story a little bit, uh, about our connection that Wade had talked about, um, um, that he asked about, where were the uh, laments and where were the uh, contemplative and reflective songs within uh, contemporary Christian music? And, uh, uh, you know, your response of, well, we've got those. It's just they're not <laughs> off the radio. Uh, well, Wade is, uh, Wade is very keen to talk to people, to listen to people very well and, um, and to have a good conversation and, um, and, so I'm, I'm way too keen to talk at other people all of the time and tell them what I think I know. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I don't remember how we got into this conversation. I am sure, uh, fairly sure that at some point there was, there was some terrible tragedy that happened and, and, and we, you know, a lot of people were thinking, well, how do we, how do we express ourselves? as Christians, uh, in the wake of this tragedy. And, um, I mean, you know, I, I don't even remember what it was, but take your pick, you know, it could be any, any horrible thing that's happened. Um, there's always that question of well, what do we do? What do we say? Especially as people on the periphery, right? Um, there, we feel like, uh, sometimes if we're not at the heart of something, it's difficult to, feel like you have a right to say something, even, even if maybe you have a responsibility to say something. And, uh, like, I feel I'm going through that right now, uh, with, uh, the shooting of the, the man in Georgia who was jogging, uh, 
very racially motivated uh, murder. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and so, you know, I feel this sort of responsibility to speak, but I don't feel like I have a right to speak. Um, or at least I don't feel like I should be the first to speak. So I've waffled back and forth trying to write poems, trying to just, uh, to just sort through it in, in whatever small way that I can to say, okay, what, what is my response before God to, uh, to this tragedy and this horror? So I'm sure we were having some conversation like that in the wake of something. And, uh, you know, he, he may have preached on a lament on a Psalm of lament at that point in time. And so I was responding to that. And I do feel like, uh, Christian radio, <laughs> I, I want to be so careful because Christian, there are so many good folks who have their music on Christian radio and, you know, and most of those people, I, I would venture to say, I can't really speak for them, but I would venture to say they're aware of the very weird animal that Christian radio is. Uh, it's just a... Okay, Christian radio has the burden of being fiscally solvent, right? Right. And that's a um, that's a burden that all radio has, being fiscally solvent. But in Christian radio, you're you've got this particular uh, message that you're trying to be, at least in some regard, you're trying to be evangelical about it, you know. And whether that's and and I don't want to use that word. Uh, like a lot of people use that word, but I, I want to use it as just a strict, strict adjective that you're trying to be evangelical about it. You're trying to get that message across in some way. And, um, and I didn't, I didn't know that this went far and wide. Like I've got, I've got some great friends of mine uh, and they've got, they're Catholic and they've gotten their music on a Catholic playlist that they were telling me about. And I thought, I didn't, I didn't even know there was a Catholic playlist. Um, I've got to find this out. And so I looked it up. Sure enough, there are all these Catholic artists, you know, folk singers and this kind of thing. And, uh, and there they were on the list, which was really cool. And um, so, but that's a playlist, you know, anybody, you or I can put one of those out for free. Christian radio um, has sponsors and has to pay, you know, pay the light bill and uh, has to pay their their lease on their building or whatever it is, and uh, and hopefully they're they're paying something in the way of royalties, uh, sort of mechanical royalties or whatever the whatever the the legal thing is to the artists. And uh, so if you play all of that, and you play it in front of people who really just want to be. Uh, I, I guess uplifted or encouraged or, um, you know, or have something happy and safe in the background. Uh, that's a very, very narrow uh, slice of what Christian art is or should be, right? That's just very small. Yes. Uh, and if you're going to, if you're going to have Christians making art, then they're, Hopefully, they're going to make art that uh, runs the entire spectrum of the Christian experience, which is not always encouraging, uh, and it's not uh, uplifting all the time, and it's not, uh, you know, it's not happy. Uh, goodness, it's not happy a lot of the time. And um, so, when you take when you take Christian music and you define that term. Uh, by just what you hear on Christian radio, you're really limiting your understanding of Christian art in a musical sense, and uh, especially a lyrical sense. Well, let's then, consequently, uh, listen to some of your art. <laughs> <laughs> let's put your money where your mouth is, boy. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so I think the first one we're going to be listening to is Eidolon. Okay. Uh, so yeah, let's listen to that. All right. Mm -hmm. 
walked like a tourist on the streets of my hometown. Gathered up my gilded memories, I don't propose to stick around. Cause off in the distance, adventure is a half lifestyle. It looks just like life, but you can buy it if you've got. Give me grace, my love, for the earth and feed upon the Adelon of everything I think I know.
I really enjoy this song a lot, and of course, we need to talk about the title a little bit. I mean, Eidolon is a is a word with a long history, uh, yes. going all the way back to Homer and, and Greek literature, and broadly mm-hmm. used in uh, fantasy literature today and and uh, video games. So, kind of talk to us a little bit about uh, about how that title came to you and the song. I'm, I'm number one. I'm so impressed that you would uh, catch that it was used in video games. Um, I, I did spend. Hey man, I play video games. Oh, listen! I spent a hundred hours in college playing Final Fantasy IX. <laughs> you and my son. Oh my gosh, that uh, that game. That's probably that's honestly the first time I heard that word. I didn't hear it in uh you know in some sort of uh old testament greek or new testament greek class or something like that um i i i heard it on a video game (laughs) so but um to me like i i love the word because i i like the sound of the word it's a very melodic word it just has that um that sort of anapestic rhythm uh to it which i really enjoy and my interpretation of it, uh, the you know, it's just the classical interpretation of something, something you idolize or something you uh, ascribe worth to or, or worship to, um, and uh, I, I think idolatry. Uh, this I don't know. This will upset a lot of people, maybe, uh, but I'm good at that. Uh, I think idolatry is uh, something that's far more widespread than we give credence to in the church. Um, and that's a scary thing because of the way that the Old Testament and, and the New Testament talk about idolatry. But, uh, you know, for me, it's my, it's a problem I have. So I have to look at it and say, okay, I'm going to call it what it is. Uh, so that song is, uh, is about the, the idol of the road, the idol of sort of finding yourself, you know, somewhere out there, uh, to quote, an American tale. Uh, but, um, sorry, I'm full of movie references. I apologize. Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 that's a great movie. Um, but, uh, the, the idea of, you know, you, you can't find yourself somehow if you, as if you should be looking for yourself, you can't find yourself where you are or, or in the midst of what you're doing, you have to get in a car and, or get on a plane and go, go out there somewhere and do something or go, go to some lonely place or some big city and uh and i, I that's just that's just rubbish you know <laughs> to be honest to be quite frank uh i think there's a lot of value in traveling a lot of value in seeing other places um i live between this uh these two literary characters in regards to travel one is uh one is gk chesterton who uh famously orthodoxy yeah there you go the everlasting man and all that so famously he was going on vacation um going on holiday and he is in there in his uh in his flat or whatever packing his things and friend comes in you know where are you where are you going and he says i'm going to battersea well they're in battersea right this is a i guess battersea is a suburb of london and okay. uh, as far as i'm aware uh, so anyway, they're, I think everything in Southern England is a suburb of London. That's the way I feel. <laughs> <laughs> that may be the way a lot of people feel. Who knows? Uh, but um, he says, well, I'm going to Battersea. And his friends, what do, you, what do you mean you're in Battersea? Well, he says, well, I'm, I'm going to Battersea. I'm going by way of you know Paris and Frankfurt and all of these other places. And uh, I'm getting... I'm going through those places, but I'm getting back to Battersea. And in his very idiosyncratic way, Chesterton was saying, it's through the lens of these places that I see home, right? That I see that I see my own place through new eyes. So that's one side of the spectrum. And the other side is Wendell Berry. Uh, I was wondering about that. Yeah, yep. Uh, so Wendell Berry is... is he is a, he is a tree burrowing downward. Um, yes, just all about rootedness. Stay staying in one place and uh, and there and discovering 
the uh, the endless possibilities and the endless graces uh, that are there to wash over one in that place. And I think that's entirely accurate and entirely valuable. But I do live in tension between those two things. Oh, yeah, I was because I was going to ask you about that because I, uh, you know, uh, being centered in Knoxville, uh, you know, and and having uh, done that, and I didn't know how much Wendell Berry uh, played a part of your rootedness in Knoxville. Well, it it was a while before it. I was in Knoxville a while before I started to put down roots, and this is the first place that I have put down roots, and. Um, it was a weird experience and it's been a weird experience. I'm a little more comfortable with it now. Um, but, uh, I planted a lot of gardens and, uh, tried to grow a lot of things and, you know, had a house and a mortgage and neighbors that, uh, I felt fond of and protective of. And, uh, and that helps, that helps kind of put you in a spot. And also, um, having kids helps even more because when you, the first time you have kids, you've, you've got all these accoutrements, right. That you have to pack up anytime you take your children anywhere. And, uh, it becomes, uh, it becomes something of a chore. Um, now if you're like me, by the time you've had your fourth kid, you, you're like, I don't even care if you have shoes on, get in the van. You know, you have a school bus, right? <laughs> well, you have a school bus and they're like, I'm, I'm, you know, I have my, my pants on backwards and I've got a toothbrush in my mouth. You're like, I don't yeah, care. We're going yeah. to the store, get in the van. Yeah. Um, but still kids, kids definitely root you to your place, right? Kids, uh, they have a certain school they go, they go to, if you go to public or private school. Yeah. If you, if you want to get up and move, you've got to take into account, okay, these people's friends are here and is it right? Uh, is it worth it to take my children away from their friends away from what they've known? Um, and that's not to say yes or no. That's just to say that's something you you all of a sudden have to take into account. And so that's that roots you to your place. Well, I really like the uh, uh, line in the song that says it looks just like life, but you can buy it if you've got cash. <laughs> yeah that's the uh yeah that's that's life in the uh maybe the uh the sense that i i hope that i think jesus would say it right i'm i'm here that you may have life and that you may have it in abundance uh is what he said and people go go back and forth to try and go, what, what does he mean by that? And, um, and I do like to look at that verse and think of it very openly and sort of be comfortable with, uh, um, at least, uh, a lucidity to that verse and, um, a flexibility to what he meant by life. And so a lot of people think like that, you know, you get on a plane, you're going to go, you're going to go to some other place and you're going to find life there. And yeah, it's great. Um, but is that really why you're going? What is it that you're trying to get, get out of that? What are you trying to accomplish? Uh, and you can delude yourself really easily if you have the money to just buy a plane ticket and go somewhere. Or even if you save the money to buy a plane ticket and go somewhere. And I'm not, I'm not exempt from that somehow. Uh, I could get I could get on a plane tomorrow and go to Scotland and be perfectly happy with that. Um, but uh, I would have to sacrifice other people's time and sacrifice things that I'm responsible for around here. And uh, not taking those things into account, I think, isn't really getting at what Jesus meant when he said, I'm here that you may have life and have it in abundance good segue then into your next song which is going to be uh, ashes to earth so let's listen to that (laughs) 
Trains outdid horses in your grandfather's time. You married a bottle, they said. Calling him vagrant and calling him swine. The world played the devil on the stage in his head. And you say it's your family, the dim light of your birth. The Bridges and highways cut the poor town apart Like the sound of a slave owner's creed And your councilman father, he stayed locked in his heart Pretending those neighborhoods were only old Some old broken faith is your only shield Cut from the bones of the lamb you have slain So come into the family by the light of his birth Get washed in the water where heaven meets earth And he I know that a lot of uh, artists uh, differ in how they go about uh, interpreting their songs or, or looking at others interpreting them. And uh, you had talked to me uh, about uh, your own understanding of that, particularly relating to uh, belief in the triune God. Uh, kind of talk to me a little bit more about that before we get into specifically Ashes to Earth. Well, the... Okay, so years ago, my dad um, told me this uh, this description. He's a musician, and so he told me this description of of sound. It's it's just a scientific uh, explanation, phys uh, physical explanation of what sound is. He said, for something, for there to be sound, you have to have something to generate the sound, something to transmit the sound, and something to receive the sound. 
you know, which is why there's no sound in space because there's nothing to transmit the sound. Um, but uh, the, the part of that that really stuck to me over the past uh, five years, uh, five, six, seven years especially, uh, was the part where you have to have someone to receive the sound or something to receive the sound. Uh, my friends and I, we, uh, we started a writer's group to, uh, cause number one, I, I called up my friend, Jana Barber and, uh, or I sent her a message and I, uh, I basically lied. Uh, <laughs> I said, we're, we're having a writer's group. You should come. And, uh, she didn't know that we meant her and me. Um, but, uh, she said, sure. <laughs> and then I called some other people and lied to them and they also accepted. So, uh, <laughs> we had a writer's group and, um, and I, I just felt like I couldn't do that in isolation anymore. I couldn't work in isolation anymore. And uh, I had to have some, some people to be a sounding board, some people to be quality control. So a few years go by, we, I, I felt like we were getting better at our craft. And I thought, okay, we've got to have some place, some place for this writing to go. If it's not getting read by people, it's not doing its job. And... Uh, there, there's the idea that there was the work, which was writing, and then there was the work of the work, which is when you turn it loose into the world and see what happens. And to me, that uh, that is wholly descriptive of what uh, what the Holy Ghost does. That um, God has spoken to me through so many, so many songs, so many paintings, movies, books. Uh, plays and uh, all food for goodness sake food is a, a wonderful way uh, to have God speak to you uh, I love food especially uh, yeah. <laughs> so um, so I, I wanted to say well let's let's put these things out in front of people and then when you do that you sort of turn it loose right you write something you you create something and then you let go of it and it's really not yours anymore in a sense um you were responsible for it at the beginning um but then once it's out there it's kind of subject to to unseen forces and subject to um things you don't understand chief among those being the holy spirit right so people have come to me and, and said something about my song and they said, Oh, this, this spoke to me. And, uh, here's what I was going through or, or here's what I got out of it. And I, there's part of me that says, wow, that's not, that's not even close to what I wrote or what I meant, you know, when I, when I put that together, but, uh, I do want to be careful because I'm, I'm not, I'm not at the helm of their spiritual experience, if that makes any sense. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, you know, I'm. I got to I got to be a part, and that's something that I should be grateful for, and that I should be humbled by. Uh, but I'm not in charge of that, so I need to sort of, I need to let the spirit speak to them in the way the spirit is speaking to them, uh, and not worry about trying to say, well, actually. This is what right. that song means. And so I, I try to be real careful uh, before I go in and say, and, and just forcefully impose my meaning on, uh, on a song that has spoken to somebody in some other way. Well, this particular song, uh, to me, uh, seemed to be dealing with uh, the experience of shame Mm. Uh, particularly from the sins of the fathers. Uh, yeah. You know, the kind of passing down of uh, things that uh, make a person's life hindered uh, by senses of guilt and shame. Um, you know, kind of how how did this song come about for you? Uh, okay, well, I, I can, I'll tell you the story behind it. So I was in, um, I was in New Orleans with my wife, uh, she was going to conferences and I was her date. 
which meant that uh, she went to meetings all day and I walked around the city and uh, ate things and looked at stuff, which I can't, I can't think of anything more American than to walk around and eat things and look at stuff. Especially in New Orleans, in New Orleans, where the food is like amazing. Oh, it's so good. Central Grocery, man, off Jackson Square. Um, so we were down there. I picked up one of these, uh, these small independent or, or independent-ish community newspapers, uh, the, the free ones, you know, and was flipping through it. And I came to an article about the interstate system. And uh, if you've been to New Orleans, you know, the interstate's raised up on these, uh, these big pylons because everything's below sea level. And uh, it was put in during the Eisenhower administration, or at least started during the Eisenhower administration, in the shadow of Jim Crow laws. And the article was about how this committee of people of New Orleans who were pillars of their community met and decided where this giant river of concrete was going to go. And uh, it was... Uh, the article said that it was all white men and one black man. And that uh, the there was this one guy who just, he was representative of his community, but because he was black, he really didn't have much say or any say. And, um, and if you look at the interstate in New Orleans, it doesn't cut through historically white communities or historically affluent communities. It cuts through uh, historically black and poor communities. And, um, and cut, cuts through is a great way of describing it because it really just, putting an interstate through a community really does something terrible to it in a way. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. There's, and there's nothing, apparently there's nothing much you can do under the interstate in New Orleans except like sell heroin or something. Um, so a lot of people do that, um, but um, I, I was I was struck by this, and struck by the thought that okay I'm I'm in a city now, uh, where uh, when I was in New Orleans I'm I'm in a city now reading this article, and the people who made this decision, ostensibly some of them may still be around, may still be here, um, and at the very least they've got you know, kids or, or grandkids who may be here. And uh, was there any conversation about that, about this thing that these people did, that they said, well, no, we don't want it through our community. Put it through their community because they don't matter. Um, and was there any ever any conversation about this horrible thing that these people did? And uh, I, I thought about if there was, was there grace for them? Was there, you know, some kind of reparation, some kind of restoration between people? And, and was there grace for them and the horrible thing they did? Um, or after the fact, I guess. And I, I have to hope that there was because I've done so many horrible things. And... Uh, and I want there to be grace for me. And so I, I guess I was looking at uh, racism is, you know, is one of the worst things that you can, one of the worst sins you can commit. Um, I think uh, just hating a person or despising a person for who they are, um, for what, what color they are. And so I kind of went with that because it was uh, it was in my face right there, and, and it was horrible. <laughs> it's a really happy yeah. song. <laughs> uh, well, but there's you have this very strong baptismal theme, I guess. So you know, my favorite line in that uh, has to do with uh, "Get washed in the water where heaven meets earth." Uh, yeah, that's a that's a great line. Thank you. Um, I do have a thing um, for rivers and and for water. I um. Well, I've noticed that. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that your songs uh, have have water images or uh, things. In I try to get away from it, but I keep coming back to it. There's just I don't know. 
<laughs> Even your house is a, is a watershed. Yeah, the house is the watershed. It's there's, yeah. and I can't, I can't, I feel like if I lived in a town that wasn't in some way a river town, uh, I would feel a little bit disappointed. Um, but that's just me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And of course, Knoxville is a river Knoxville town. is a river town. Yeah. Well, let's listen to your third song then, Burning Coal.
Yes, there is no other name. There is no other name. There is no other name under heaven. There is no other name. There is no other name. There is no other This song to me uh, carried uh, kind of two separate images. Uh, the way I experienced it, uh, you know, there were there were prodigal themes uh, mm-hmm. in it for me, but then also uh, the whole notion of you know Isaiah and the burning coal that kind of cleansed Isaiah uh, in that. Uh, but uh, I noticed that uh, this one is more like. Um, contemporary worship songs and that you you end it with the uh the repetition yeah um, yeah <laughs> i um so number one i'm terrible at writing um i i i'm gonna go with the term congregational music which i tend to do um because uh i don't i don't like the the way that we use the word worship um most of the time because uh, again it's very it's very narrow you know um we assume that or assume is not the right word but but we talk like we believe that this one thing uh singing together uh or or maybe just singing this one kind of song is worship and uh that's a that's a much narrower definition of worship than what the scriptures uh entail or what the scriptures put forth so um i do i do like the term congregational music because i think that for me at least that describes it pretty well Um, but that kind of music is really hard to write (laughs) Uh, as it turns out um so yeah this does have a little bit of the flavor of that uh at the very end um and i like the idea of uh, the very tribal um uh, or or maybe elemental idea of just repeating something i know that a lot of people a lot of people dislike that in uh, in congregational music and uh they in, in a lot of ways, they'll say, well, how, how many times are we going to repeat this chorus? Or how many times are we going to say right. that thing? And and I, that's that's okay. I understand where those people are coming from. But uh, there, that is a particular kind of cultural expression 
of um, of just repeating something, having a phrase and repeat. The Psalms do it. You know, there's a there's a psalm that uh, it there's a a part of a verse, and then it says His love endures forever, and then another part of a verse that's different, and then His love endures forever, and it just repeats that the entire way through the psalm. And um, well, my understanding, kind of historically, um, is that repetition has often been used as a means of of getting beyond thought level uh, into uh, emotional level and mystical level, uh, and I've and I've noticed that that's a dimension of contemporary Christian music um, that is more open. Uh, to the emotional than, uh, you know, classical, reflective uh, Christianity has been. I mean, evangelism always has had an emotional component, but that had to deal with conversion uh, and not just the experience of coming weekly and being with God. Uh, but that contemporary Christian music is more, uh, has that more as a goal of saying, yes, I'm a Christian, but I, I also want to come and be in the presence of God, experience God. And, and the repetition uh, is a means by which I'm, I do that. Uh, kind of like mantras uh, uh, serve as that means of entering the mystical and entering the, uh, the emotional more. Yeah, well, to my mind, there are a couple of things going on there. Um, one is that uh, we we think and maybe this is a human thing maybe it's a western thing or an american thing or uh, i don't know any any number of sort of tribes um or or specific groups of people um the idea that I, when i hear something once or twice you know i've got then i've got it i understand it and um and scripture isn't that way you know, Scripture is uh, the the Word of God is living and active, and that that is very mystical thing to say and a mystical thing to believe, and and it beguiles or or upsets some people, I guess. But uh, and and I understand why it's difficult, but part of that is that it's it's always giving, right? There's um, there's not really an end to uh what the scriptures offer so you can read the same thing your whole life and uh because this is the word of the lord it's going to it's going to have something different to say to you later on than it does right now and it's not just the bible that's that way people are people don't read poetry as much and uh poetry poetry tends to give more the more you read so I, I like poetry and I like it because of that. And I, I tell people a lot that you never, you never get everything on the first reading. And so that's one, that's one part of that, that sort of idea of repetition, I think. Um, or at least it's an aspect of it that's worth attention. But uh, another part of it, to my mind, is that younger folks who are, who are writing more of this congregational music tend to be uh, more cross-cultural than uh, than older folks who have written or or uh, especially in the past 300 years have written this music um, there's there's it feels like there's a willingness to be more cross-cultural and there are cultures where that is that is a, a a normal expression that sort of repetition right there are cu cultures where that's not um you know you have uh you have poetry that's um like tennyson or something tennyson isn't really given to repeating himself um but you know then you have uh were you there when they crucified my Lord. And sometimes it causes me to tremble, 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 you know, and it does that at uh, the end of every verse. Right. And there's, uh, 
there's this this kind of wild quality to that after a while that uh, if you if you pay attention to it if you it, it it grips you in a different place than some of your more didactic poetry or some of your more heady poetry like Tennyson. Well, thank you for sharing your music with us. And, uh, you know, I'll have the uh, info on how they can get a hold of your albums and thank you. things uh, on the blog post. And uh, But before we go, uh, talk a little bit about Founding House. Well, Founding House was the thing that uh, I told you about the writer's group. Well, Foundling House, yeah. Foundling House was the journal that we put together um, when we said, okay, somebody's got somebody's to read this stuff or the, all these things that we're writing. Oh, not that it was, you know, the bee's knees or something like that. People don't say that anymore, do they? They don't say the bee's knees. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Depends on who you're talking to. It's not, it's not what the kids are saying. Uh, so it, um, so it wasn't, not that we, what we were doing was the bee's knees, but um, I feel like if we uh, didn't put it out there, we weren't being responsible, entirely responsible for it. So, um, so Jana and John Barber and I created this journal called Foundling House, uh, named after uh, foundling like an orphan, right? You got these old foundling hospitals in London and I think New York and other places. Um, right. And people would literally, <laughs> it's a, it's, it's trite now. It's a stereotype or something, but people would leave a baby on the doorstep, right? Um, right. And uh, and just still happens. Yeah, and still this still, still happens. Um, yeah. But uh, so that that baby was uh, was a foundling. This person left on a tiny person left on a doorstep and uh, just taken in. And that seemed to describe our our experience of faith rather well. Uh, so we went with that, and you know, and I don't want to hammer home some deep meaning of the word foundling uh, because that's totally worthy of everybody's exploration and uh, we've had five years and more now of exploring it so we put out new material every week and we've got uh, we've got poets and um, and essayists and uh, stories and we we explore music we explore visual arts and it all lives at that kind of intersection of uh, faith, uh, specifically kingdom-oriented faith and life and art and finding truth uh, in all kinds of places. Uh, I'm not sure who, who said this, but uh, one of my favorite songwriters, Andrew Peterson, is fond of repeating it, that all truth is God's truth. Uh, I can't remember who said that initially. But that seems to that seems to be one of the places where we live uh, in Foundling House is is uh, exploring that idea. Yeah. Well, we'll need to um, have an episode specifically dedicated to to that. And uh, oh yeah, you know, talk about that. So, well, thank you, Adam, uh, for being with me. Thank you for sharing your art. Uh, I look forward to folks uh, getting to learn more about your music and uh, the work you're doing. Thanks so much, David. Uh, yeah, blessings to Likewise. you. Likewise. You are listening to Practicing Gospel. I'm David Rayburn. If you visit adamwhipple.com, you can purchase his music and learn that he is not only a musician, but an artist, photographer, poet, and writer. Enjoy what you read on Foundling House and learn more about Foundling House at foundlinghouse.com. The music for this episode comes from a clip of a song called Father Let Your Kingdom Come that is on the Porter's Gate Worship Project Work Songs album and used by permission by the Porter's Gate Work Project. You can purchase the album and learn more about the worship project by going to the website theportersgate.com. This show has as its purpose enabling you to hear the voices of the Christian left and about the issues and concerns that are of interest to the Christian left. 
Practicing Gospel Inc. is a nonprofit organization. If you like what you've heard, go to my website at practicing-gospel.blubrry.net to subscribe and hopefully to donate. Your participation will help me continue this effort. Thank you for listening and for your support. Blessings. May the words from my mouth speak your peace. Yeah.